All right. Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from the Fishing Fanatics podcast. I'm doing today with Jimmy Washam, who is a Bassmaster Open Series angler. So how you doing, Jimmy? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, man. It's good to have you on here. I know uh, yesterday you were out fishing with your uh, your kids, and I always like to start off with these podcasts and ask you how you got into fishing um, kind of as a kid and your upbringing and kind of go from there. Yeah, it was the same way that I hopefully uh, will have both of my boys into it. And my dad took me, I mean, when I was old enough to, you know, work, put on a diaper and climb in a boat. So I've uh, been doing it ever since. So it's I have to give my dad all the credit for that. I love it. I love. It. Did you start fishing on a boat or was it more you and your buddies going to ponds, pond hopping a little bit, maybe golf course ponds, or I've even heard farm ponds, which sounds awesome. Um, did you do any of that kind of fishing? You know, we have a family farm in North Mississippi, and, and it's got a about a five-acre lake on it. My dad started me fishing off the bank and then in a little paddle boat in that farm pond. And, and then uh, I, when I was three years old, I was going to – a lake called Sardis Reservoir in North Mississippi. It was a great lake back in the 80s, and uh, my dad fished it a lot, and he had a, a ranger bass boat. So at age three, I was pretty familiar with a bass boat and running all over the lake. So oh, That's that's fun stuff right there. And when did you make the leap into um, tournament fishing? How young were you when you did that? You know, I fished some charity stuff with my dad when I was younger, and then uh, in my late teens and early 20s, I started uh, fishing some some charity stuff with, with some of my buddies. And then I started a bass club in my early 20s. And uh, about mid-20s is when I progressed from the bass club into uh, the BFL division over at FLW trying to, you know, start taking the steps to hopefully one day becoming a pro. Absolutely. It seems like kind of this natural progression with guys um, either, you know, fishing, fishing local tournaments, then going to a club, then going to this kind of professional um, circuit. How much did the club help you um, get experience with tournament fishing to kind of take that next step? A tremendous amount. Uh, you know, I got to fish with different guys and, and learn a lot. I got to fish different lakes that I probably wouldn't have went to if I was just fun fishing. Um, you know, some of those lakes were great. They were, you know, a decent little drive from the house. And then some of them were not great, but you learn from all of those, uh, you know, circumstances. And the, the Bass Club uh, definitely kick-started me being able to go to a body of water and break it down, and, and I learned a ton from that. Absolutely. The uh, It's funny talking to a lot of guys on here, too. It's... um. They, you get so used to fishing your own body of water. I know we were talking about this. You know, I'm from right outside the Philadelphia area, and you kind of get used to either fishing the Delaware where it's super tidal, but you can have that opportunity to go to the different lakes and fish weed lines or, you know, fish big ledges and different stuff like that. So it's cool to hear that the club really gave you that opportunity to travel around and try out these different places and then take that next step to the pro circuit where you have to basically know every technique. Yeah, that's right. And uh, your your career, I gotta say, you you had a heck of a run in the uh, MLF. 
uh, some of your biggest wins there in the uh, Pro Circuit Tackle Warehouse title on the Mississippi River, and then another one in the Toyota Series on Gunnersville. So tell me a little bit about those two events, what it's like coming home with a win there. I tell you what, I was uh, just chipping away at it, trying to make it in professional fishing. It, it's it's just hard to to get into it, and <clears throat> for one, be able to afford it, and then be able to sustain, you know, performance-wise. And I was working as a deputy, you know, during that time. And that first win in in 2021, the Toyota Series win in February, um, it, it came at a crazy time. I had just lost my title sponsor that that I had for the first year on uh, the FLW Tour or the Pro Circuit. It was renamed right around that time. But um, I had them the first year. I just lost them to start the, the second year in 2021. That was right around that uh, the time that COVID was affecting a lot of businesses. So I lose that sponsor. I'm stressed out. I end up winning that Toyota Series event at Gunnersville. I paid for the whole year. I got two great sponsors out of that, and I ended up being better off than I was before. So uh, it was cool to see God work in my life, you know, um, during that whole uh, circumstance. And then I, I go on, I have a pretty consistent year, and then to win a tour-level championship, uh, you know, in the in the Pro Circuit title championship, that was that was a lot more surreal than winning the, the Toyota Series. You know, I, I felt like I probably had the talent if, if everything went perfect and things went my way to win a triple a AAA level event <clears throat> but to win a tour level championship you know that was not something that really I even believed in myself in until it happened and um, you know that was a life-changing thing it, it allowed me to move out of law enforcement uh, move to Pickwick and start a guide service and start fishing full-time so uh, both of those wins were pivotal in, in molding me as a professional angler, uh, for sure. Absolutely. That's that's pretty cool to hear. It's like that one, the big tournament that you won is really like a 90-degree turn from, you know, working in the sheriff's office to really jumping into this thing full-time and uh, really dedicating your life to it, too. So that's awesome to hear that. Mm-hmm. So. You've had some great success on the MLF tour, and I've never asked anyone this, but I want to ask you this. What made you switch to fish the Opens this year and last year, I believe? Well, I, I fished I fished the Central Opens last year just because I love to fish tournaments, and it was an opportunity for me. Um, the year before, I actually tried to get into them, and I, I was on the waiting list when the Central Division started. <clears throat> well... This year, Bass made some changes and Major League Fishing made some changes. And for me personally, um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of different stories and takes on why someone chose this or that when it comes to the uh, the Bass and the Major League Fishing. But me personally, I looked at what I felt like was best for me long term and some payout structures that changed at Major League Fishing, including the title championship that was life-changing for me uh, no longer being in effect and you know not fishing for a championship on the pro circuit and 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 having to strive to you know to make the bass pro tour to to really sustain as a as a you know a full-time angler there i felt like it was best for me to go ahead and start trying to claw my way back up the ladder from the opens make the elite series and hopefully you know have a long and successful career on the bass side 
And that's, that's part of it. And another part of it, this is crazy for me to say as young as my professional career is, but I want to be one of those guys that's won a tour level championship on both sides. And, you know, I, but now Major League Fishing, you know, is, has Redcrest and that's the, the, their, you know, top level championship, but they can't take away the fact that I won the, the pro circuit title, which, you know, formally was known as the Forest Wood Cup. And I'm not trying to say that it carries as much weight as the Forest Wood Cup did. Please don't confuse me there. But I would love to be able to say I won a tour level championship at FLW and Major League Fishing and then won a classic at Bass. So that's my goal. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit BadRhinoInc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. That completely makes sense, right? Move on. It's kind of like a, not a career change, but just a different path for you to kind of go down to. And another question I have, because you brought up uh, sponsorships too. I always think it's interesting um, talking about sponsorships and how hard was it when you were first starting out to get your first sponsors um, to really believe in you and trust you and basically give you money to to fish? You know, I, I had my very first sponsor in 2016 and I was fishing the the BFL division, and it was a a good friend of mine that owned a tackle shop, and, you know, it wasn't a a paycheck in the mail or anything, but he gave me a tremendous amount of support um, through our partnership, and I, believe it or not, I still have him as a sponsor, and I hope it's that way from, you know, until I make my last cast, but from that point, in 2017, 18, and 19, when I was fishing the Toyota series, I tried and tried and tried to get more uh, sponsor support, and it's it's really hard. I learned that uh, someone telling you no or just ignoring an email, you, you, you can't take it personal. And, you know, I really was fortunate in, in 2020 when I stepped up from the Toyota series to the FLW Tour, I was really fortunate to get a sponsor just through uh, an email, basically a business proposal. Um, I, would, I, I felt lucky when that happened, or, or fortunate, and it, you know, it worked great for that year and it really helped me get through that first year financially. Uh, but the best, the best way that I can describe it is there's a lot of disappointment and there's a lot of no's and, and you know, not getting an answer back. And then when the right one comes along and it's meant to be and you, you, you get that partner that you really want to spend, you know, your, your career with, then it'll, it'll eventually happen. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. So now you have your sponsors, you're going through your tournaments, and you're, I'm just curious, how do you balance um, working a full-time job, um, working at the county sheriff's office to – than traveling around and doing all these different tournaments? Looking back on it, I have no idea how I balanced it because now I guide part-time on Pickwick and I fish tournaments and that's that's life for me and I still am busy all the time so I have no idea how I was working 
you know, 80-hour work weeks as a patrol sergeant and managing all that and then fishing and keeping my head, you know, strapped on. So uh, I guess it's it was out of necessity, you know. I, I always say that necessity will will do more for you than a lot of other emotions like drive and motivation and, and want to. Um, and I, that's what I had to do. If I was going to make it fishing, I had to do it. So, so I did it. I, I wouldn't have wanted to try it another year because I think it probably, uh, it made me get old quick, I think, from <laughs> lack of sleep and stress and, and driving and, and uh, you know, always being at work. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that that kind of stuff kind of wears you down a little bit. So it's cool you did secure those wins and pushed it into full time fishing. Guiding on Pickwick, let's talk about Pickwick a little bit here. Um, what are you seeing out there that's been working for your uh, your customers? You know, uh, I actually had a guide trip today, and and there was a a huge tournament on the lake, uh, Humminbird and Minkota owners tournament uh, this past weekend had. I don't know how many boats, but 300, 400, something like that, a lot of boats. And we really noticed the pressure today as far as, you know, how those schools of fish were just really hard to get to bite. But uh, we still ended up catching some some quality fish and had a great trip and made a, a good time out of it. But right now, this time of year on the Tennessee River, me personally, I love to fish deep and fish offshore. And um, that's how I've been catching them since about, you know, third week of May and um, there's more fish coming out there and and they're just getting harder to trick but you know catching a lot of them on light line and finesse stuff and then when uh, when I get them fired up I really like throwing a big spoon or crankbait or swim bait and I've caught some big ones in the last couple weeks uh, doing that and they the fish just get to where they don't eat them quite as well because you know they they have to get smarter they get caught so uh, but that's that's the way we've been catching them. And I've caught some some really big smallmouth in the last couple of weeks on a topwater, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always fun. That's that's my favorite fishing, I'm sure. Any listeners who watch some of the podcasts know that I am a huge fan of topwater fishing. <laughs> it is a blast. The um the thing with the spoons interesting because I remember a couple of years back seeing a video from Six Sense about their spoon that they had. I didn't even know it was an option to fish with a spoon for bass, really, and it seems like a lot of guys are doing it now. Oh yeah, it's a it's a great way to imitate a you know an injured or dying shad. Um, and it's just kind of a staple on on the Tennessee River or anywhere you have fish that get out deep and school up that are uh, that are feeding on bait fish and you know are bait fish oriented. Absolutely, and like you said, offshore fishing. One of your favorite techniques I saw from your write up was um, fishing submergent grass um, and kind of going from there. And up north, we're starting to get some grass growing here. And I actually went out this week and caught a couple fish. Um, in little pockets of different things. So tell me a little bit about what you're looking for when you're fishing that submergent grass. You know, a lot of it depends on how deep it grows and, and what kind of grass you have. But generally, if you take a, a, a fishery that has a lot of grass, you need to look for something different. Um, for example, a big grass flat or a pocket, of, you know, a 10 or 20 acre pocket that has nothing but grass in it. You need to find where there's a ditch running through it. You need to find where there's a stump row that's in it. Uh, you know, and all that stuff is very hidden by, by all of the grass, so it can be overwhelming. But the best way to do that is take a bait that you have confidence in, cover a lot of water, 
and keep your eyes and ears open. I can't tell you when I've, when I've been grass fishing how many times I've found the mother load of, of fish in the grass and found that sweet spot just because I saw one come up and chase a shad and blow up on the surface. Um, so I've always got my eyes and ears open, really paying attention, uh, you know, to my surroundings, looking for those bait fish running from, from bass. And, and I'm just covering a lot of water with a bait that I have confidence in, but I'm, I'm really trying to find that irregularity. And sometimes you can find that on a map. Uh, sometimes you just have to put the trolling motor down and cover water until you, you find the fish. Absolutely. And then this might be a stupid question, but I'm always interested in what guys have to say about it. The um, So side scan versus like forward facing sonar when you're looking for those different spots. Do you troll through with side scan and kind of just like check out the weed lines and figure out what you can kind of find there? Or do you stop and then use that forward facing sonar to kind of scan it? Or I do a lot of my... I do a lot of my work behind the steering wheel using side scan. Um, you know, I, I, I will learn a lot as I'm fishing with forward sonar, but if it's an area that the grass is not so thick that I can't, uh, you know, see holes or pockets in the grass or see where a ditch runs through it or see, you know, a hard grass line, then I'm going to use side scan to try to find that stuff and take note of it. and. Uh, you know, and sometimes you can actually graph fish on grass lines. You're not going to graph them actually in the grass very often, but uh, there's a lot of times that I use side scan just to try to break down. A, if I can take an area that's this big, you know, looking at it on a map and then neck it down to where I, I think maybe the fish will be in an area this big, now I only have to fish 30 minutes or an hour to cover that area where it might have taken two days to cover it. So um, I definitely try to do that with side scan. Yeah, and that's a huge advantage whether you're fishing a tournament or you have clients out there on the boat. Um, when you can just Absolutely. kind of cut it down and focus on those key spots, right? That's, that's exactly huge. right. Cool, man. So um, let's wrap it up here. I always like asking everyone what their PB largemouth is and PB smallmouth. And if you want to throw a spot at bass in there, you can go ahead. You know, I'll start with the spot because I didn't weigh it, but I caught one that I'm confident was over five pounds on the Coosa River system. Uh, didn't have a scale. It was in, it was practice for a tournament, and it was a giant. It was the biggest spot I've ever put my hands on. Uh, largemouth, 1070, so 10 pounds, 11 ounces. Uh, I caught that in August, believe it or not. It was 102 degrees. I caught it at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, big Florida bass. but uh, And then smallmouth was 589, and I caught that fish on a Ned rig on a bluff wall in October on Pickwick. And that, what's Jeez. sad is I've, I've been trying to catch that six pound smallmouth since, since I started fishing the Tennessee River and I've hung a couple that I know were six plus and lost them. But I've caught a, enough five pound smallmouth to fill up a, a 18 wheeler trailer and I can't break six pounds, but I know it'll happen. I've got a, I've got a nice, uh, driftwood stump that I found floating in the lake one day and I've stained it and it's it's cut out perfect to set on my coffee table with a replica of the six pounder when I eventually catch him. <laughs> I love it. That's exactly I got something similar to that in my house. Right above the fireplace there's a big star. And I know one day when I catch a fifty inch musky, I'm like that's where that's where it's gonna go right there, man. So I yep. got the same thing going. <laughs> That's cool. I love it. Cool, man. So 
I'll give you a little time here to shout out um, your guide service, where people can find to get some more information about that and get in contact with you for any any trips like that. Um, your social media accounts, too, where people can kind of follow along with your story. Yeah, thank you. So my guide service at Pickwick is Pickwick Premier Bass Guide. Uh, I'm U.S. Coast Guard certified as a master captain. Um, you can find me Pickwick Premier Bass Guide dot com or uh, that same business name under Facebook and operate off both of those as far as getting in touch with me and then for my social media channels I'm on YouTube Facebook Instagram and TikTok and they're all under Jimmy Washam fishing awesome I will uh, put them in the comments or in the description so people can find them, get in contact with you. And, Jimmy, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this podcast with me. Good luck in the uh, future open events. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate you reaching out, and uh, maybe I can do it again someday. Absolutely, man. And the season recap sounds good, man. Get you one of those open wins. Yes, sir. I like it.